0: The self, and by the self we mean consciousness in its pure original form, before it is conditioned by all of the indoctrination that we received in our childhood and in an ongoing way by all of the messages we get from society and from each other. Before that, before we were defiled, when we didn't need to be cleansed, in that pure state of consciousness, in its purest, uncontaminated, untraumatized form, we are infinite beings. In a state of bliss, with knowledge, with love, with power. And then we are taught a lot of misinformation that causes us to forget all of that, okay? So within this infinite pure consciousness, little bubbles of finite belief systems form. And when such a bubble forms in which there is an identification usually with the bodily form, but also with particular uh, particular attitudes toward the body, toward the world, toward others, toward yourself. We call that an ego. And that little finite bubble of consciousness gets cut off from the rest of consciousness and forgets about everything outside of that bubble. And it becomes very different from the pure consciousness of infinite bliss and love and light. And because we forget to pop the bubble and return to the wholeness of who we are, which is called ego death, by the way, it's not really a death, it's a return to the eternal life of the infinite self. But that popping of the bubble is what we need often some help with. And because part of the indoctrination that created the bubble itself contained the command that thou shalt not pop this bubble, <laughs> we remain loyal to it. Right? That's our job, to keep that bubble strong. Because if we didn't have that bubble as our walls of consciousness, we wouldn't know who we are. That's what we're taught, right? although it's the bubble that makes us not know who we are. So we've turned everything inside out. Meditation is simply the popping of the bubble, nothing else. And then you realize, indeed, nothing has changed, because all along all there has been is the infinite consciousness, because the bubble was not really real. But the bubble creates a space in which that infinity is not felt. And so there seems to be an alienation from the source of our being. We feel lost and confused and cut off. But you can never be cut off from your real self. You can believe you are cut off, and that makes it seem like you are cut off, because whatever consciousness believes will come true for it. That's the power of consciousness. So if you believe you're unhappy, you'll be unhappy. If you recognize that that is only a belief and can let it go, your natural state, without having to believe you are happy, is happiness. And that's how you know it's not another dream. You don't have to believe it. And therefore meditation is a state without beliefs. Beliefs create dreams, illusions, sometimes delusions. So you want to be in a state without beliefs, including the belief that I exist as a separate creature, in a finite body that's perishable and that is subject to all sorts of defilement and confusion and loss and pain and suffering, etc. That belief is what has to be popped. Some people mistakenly believe that you can pop the bubble from inside the bubble, however. You can't do that. And some people think if they just uh, attack themselves enough for being inside of a bubble that the bubble will pop. But attacking yourself for being in a bubble just makes the bubble stronger. Because the attack creates the illusion that there is a self to attack. When that is the illusion that must be popped. Therefore, you can't force yourself out of the bubble because the truth is you're not in the bubble. The bubble is in you. You're the infinite consciousness. That has never changed. It doesn't matter how many bubbles there are. The consciousness is always liberated and free and doesn't need to do anything to find itself. So there just has to be a disidentification from the bubble, not a war in the bubble of one part against another. And that's usually what happens on any spiritual path, particularly those religious paths that tell you you're a sinner because you're in the bubble. And then you split into two little mini-bubbles of one attacking the other. And so the first step if you're going to meditate is to accept yourself as you are but to know that what you are is not what you think you are. And that your thoughts, because they are based on the conditioning that supports the bubble, unreality of the finite ego consciousness, cannot get you outside of the bubble. The only way to get outside of the bubble is to stop thinking. It's when we stop thinking that we remember who we are. That is pure awareness in which thinking appears, but is not itself a state of mind, or a type of thought, or a mode of processing. It's pure presence. And so meditation is simply the enjoyment of pure presence. If you are a theist and you want to call the infinite self outside of the bubble God and you as the creature, you can do that. Or you can have a non-dual Advaita kind of reality or a Buddhist reality that it's all one. Either of those options, dualism or non-duality, are Equivalent, So long as you recognize that in meditation or prayer, which is the same, there's really no distinction between the two. If you go into the history of prayer in the Christian tradition, it is meditation. And the highest kind of prayer, contemplative prayer, is the total silencing of the mind in the surrender of your consciousness to God, which is the popping of the bubble. And you can think of that infinite consciousness as fullness, and then you're a Hindu, or as emptiness, and you're a Buddhist, okay? They are both the same. Because it is empty of ego, empty of thought, empty of, of image, but there's a fullness of love, of the Buddha nature, of nirvana. If there wasn't, why would you bother wanting to go there? Then you wouldn't be a Buddhist, you'd be a nihilist. So. The ego is already a nihilist because it doesn't believe there is anything out there. Now, what's interesting is that the great Christian mystics who are presumably dualists have almost to uh, an individual, I was gonna say to a man, but many of them are women, uh, have said that if you want to reach that which is outside of the bubble, you not only have to let go of your belief in the ego, you have to let go of your belief in God. You have to become an atheist to be a good Christian. <laughs> now that's true, and I, I'm, I'm actually going to read you something about that, because people don't usually believe me, so maybe you'll believe a Carthusian monk. This is, this is a book called The Wound of Love. by uh, th- These Carthusian monks are the most strict of all the Catholic orders of monks. Okay, they're, they're not only cloistered, but they are almost entirely uh, in solitary confinement. You know, you get more freedom in a prison than in one of these monasteries. But they're extremely blissful, you know, and they do this voluntarily. So, <laughs> And they're usually actually very happy. But let me, let me just read a, a couple of paragraphs. Um, okay. And and this particular monk is talking about how all his beliefs about God and the path that he, the bliss he would reach as a monk, it all collapsed and he entered into the dark night of the soul. And he felt uh, totally lost and wondered, why did I come to this monastery? What an idiot I was, right? And so one after another, the elements of this solidly constructed world collapse. This is the world of Christian belief in his case. They all depended on a certain idea of God, and this idea has now vanished. One spoke a great deal of the death of God a few years ago, often in an unacceptable way, but permit me the risk of saying that for all of us, God must die at a certain moment. In one sense, only the atheist can truly believe in God. Let me explain. It is necessary that the God of our imagination die the God of our projections, of our desires, who is none other than our ego deified. This is a very important point. For Sunday school children, that's what God is, is your own ego turned into a God reflecting back all of those qualities that you want to believe are your own and protecting you in in a very childish, imaginary way the God who stands alongside the cosmos as something else, who stands alongside the neighbor as someone else in competition with him or her to win my love, the God of whom it suffices to know the general moral rules in order to do his will, the God infinitely above his creature's pains in a transcendence beyond reach, the God as judge who punishes in accord with the justice conceived along human lines, the God who blocks the spontaneity of life and love. Such a God must die to make room for a God strangely close and familiar and yet totally beyond our grasp, a God who bears a human face, who is generosity, overflowing life, gratuitousness, unpredictable liberty, who does nothing in general, but is always the you facing the I and the I facing the thou. I said that only the atheist can truly believe in God, for the atheist has nothing but the human. Thus he can engage his whole being if he has it assumed it fully and lucidly in an act of faith and a gift of himself, which open onto the pure mystery of a God who is all and nothing. It is not only God who has vanished. The worshipper has also collapsed under the demoralizing effect of an ever greater lucidity about the complexities and ambiguities of his actions. Little by little, the hidden layers of the psyche are laid bare, the evasions, the detours of egoism and fear, all the wolves in sheep's clothing, the corruption of the heart, which is the very source of all our actions and prayers. We have to recognize that the pious person of former times was only a mask, at least in part. Veneration was an instinctive fear before the invisible and the judge. Obedience, a calculation, and a constraint. Love, a subjective emotion produced artificially and out of proportion with its meager results in real life. Austerity, the expression of a masochistic desire for self-punishment to allay a neurotic guilt complex. Desire for solitude, the evasion scheme of a crippled personality, Unable to integrate itself into the life of humankind. So that's not living a godly life. And here is a monk who realized that he went to the monastery for all the wrong reasons to worship a god that was his own imagination. And in a way we all have to go through that imaginary quality of belief in order to find the real. But the imaginary belief system has to collapse. To accept ourselves as we are is to situate ourselves in the truth. And in the face of this true self is the love of God, which itself is infinitely rich. Our poverty is the measure of our receptivity, not only with respect to God's gifts, but with respect to God as the union of love. We should aspire to this poverty as a crystal might seek to be perfectly transparent in order to become pure light. In love, this poverty is freedom and joy like God. Prayer in spirit and in truth, purity of heart, the seeking of God as the self, the spirit of the Beatitudes, it is all the same, and this is our very life. The acceptance of the self has to include the acceptance of the fact that we don't know ourself. We know only the surface. We know only this membrane that is the bubble itself. We don't even know the inside of the bubble, the unconscious mind of the ego, let alone the superconscious that transcends and encompasses us. We don't know what our potentials of consciousness are. And so we need to let go of all of our assumptions, particularly the assumptions of our limitations. And in the emptiness of all belief and expectation, of all demand, of all desire, of all fear, because fear also, we don't know, has any validity. To let go of all of that and to receive what is present as our own consciousness and allow it to reveal itself to us. That is the beginning of meditation. In Greek, the word for prayer is yu qi, very interesting. The chi comes from the Chinese, actually. It's ancient Greek, but the Greeks and the Chinese were connected. It means good chi, the prana, the shakti, the flow of divine energy. It's good energy because it's the energy that comes from the source. And it is always considered a binding, A unification. To pray or to meditate is to bind yourself to God. To bind your finite consciousness to the infinite consciousness. So that it is the infinite consciousness itself that pops the bubble. That's called grace. You can't do it, but through your surrender to the infinite, it is done. And the you that can't do it dissolves and the I am that is it. And so meditation is simply that receptivity to grace in which we pay attention to that aspect of the mind that is beyond language, beyond images, beyond emotions, beyond the mundane, banal concerns of the ego to discover that eternal presence that transcends and encompasses and yet pervades our life at every moment. And meditation can only be accomplished in that humility of realizing that we don't know. We don't know the ultimate mystery of God, of the Self, of reality, of the unfolding of destiny, of the source of our being, of the latent powers that want to emerge within us and to be channeled into the world as gifts of healing, of love, of beauty, of joy. We don't know. And so, anytime you have a thought in which you think you know who you are, whether it's someone good or someone bad, that is to be in the bubble. You don't know. You are a mystery. We need to be lost in order to be found. It's in that acceptance of our lostness and our ignorance that the ignorance itself morphs into knowledge. And it's a very peculiar kind of knowledge because it's not a knowledge of an object. It's not a knowledge of a thing. It's not a knowledge that has a knower and a knowing and a known. That's what we're taught is is knowledge. I know that this thing is X. No, self-knowledge has no such triad of division. Because it is self-knowledge, that triad collapses into an instantaneous and spontaneous self-knowing that has no words, that is indescribable because it is not objective. There is no otherness. And that is the basis of the blissfulness of the self. There is no other. As soon as there is duality and there is an other, there will be desire or fear of that other or an oscillation between the two. Duality creates the illusion of having to deal with some alien entity. And in reality, there are no alien entities that's part of the illusion of the bubble because we are taught to fear the other. And yet at the same time we are taught if we come from any kind of a, a healthy family or culture to experience and appreciate the beauty of the other. What is beauty? There are many philosophers today who say that in this postmodern age, beauty has been lost. Nothing is beautiful anymore, not even art. Definitely not music. <laughs> Definitely not uh, the way that humans express themselves to one another with the kind of vulgar language they use. What is beauty? What is missing? What caused the profanity and the ugliness to pervade our culture? I would say that it is the loss of the ability to see the invisible within the visible. Once we see only the visible, we see the shell. We see only the outer skin. We do not see the soul. We see the appearance without the essence. And because our third eye is not working and we don't see the invisible, we don't see that light shining within one another that is our invisible beauty that makes us not different, not two, but the same invisible beauty that I see in each of you is the same invisible beauty with which you are seen. It is in our invisible nature that we are one. In the visible we are many, but in the invisible we are one. And it is the invisible that is the seer and the knower of the visible. But the invisible must also be able to see and know the invisible within the the visible of the other and of the world itself. Because that invisible ultimately is the presence of God. And it is possible through meditation practice for that invisible to become more visible than the visible. That is enlightenment. That is liberation. When the invisible, uncreated, supernal light that is shining within all of us becomes so visible we don't see the bodily form anymore. And we are in awe of the light. And we recognize it as the one light. And we love that light because that light is love. Meditation gives us that ability to see. And then, once we can see, we can appreciate the beauty, even in postmodern music and postmodern art, and in all of those efforts to rise beyond the visible, the bubble of ego consciousness, to break free from our confinement in a finite shell that we ourselves always somehow know is not real and is never enough. But if we have lost our way out of that because we cannot see the invisible, then we'll beat against the walls of the bubble and create more pain and suffering and agony. And that is what we will express in our art and our music. And so we must use the postmodern idioms of our music to express the capacity to see and to rise up beyond the ego's limitations and to realize that real self that is always there, just infinitesimally beyond the finite. And once that membrane is broken through, we are free forever. and it requires doing nothing except silencing the mind that is constantly employed to keep the illusion of that bubble there. The walls of the bubble that wall us from God are made of language, of signifiers, of images, of memories, of traumas, of the belief in our defilement or in our badness or in our... Sinfulness, or in our inability to transcend. It's in all of the narratives of our ego. Even the narratives of aspiration to transcend become obstacles because we are already that which is beyond the egoic illim- limitations and illusions. And because we are already beyond it, It is important not to struggle for it, but to simply let go and be. That's all. There is no doer. The doer is a false identification with an appearance that shows up in consciousness as an organism and you believe and project your consciousness into that organism and then believe that the language that is thought by that organism's brain is your mind when it's only a conditioned set of tapes that have been recorded and that then play over and over again that have nothing to do with your mind which is the mind of god and once the ego mind has been settled and slowed down to silence, then the mind of God can be apperceived as the light and the love and the bliss of the self. But part of the problem is that the loyalty that we have been commanded to believe in the ego has been also put into us as a command not even to be curious, about that infinite self and potential that lies beyond it. Or if we are curious to believe that it's not possible for us, or that we don't deserve it. And so with any of those conditionings, we tend to then get tired in our meditation, and we'll either fall asleep, or we'll start chattering, or wonder when are we going to have dinner, or or have some interest in anything other than achieving that realization of the infinite self. And the only struggle that there is in meditation is to not buy into those thoughts and those impulses. Don't have to fight them. Don't get into a war with them, but just don't believe them. Witness them as you would witness the sound of the rain or anything else without believing you're getting wet just because it's raining out there. And once you recognize that you're not getting wet by those thoughts simply by not believing them, they will not turn into desires or fears or sleepiness or loss of concentration. And once the concentration and the focus has become laser-like instead of diffused, it will break through that bubble membrane just like that and you will experience freedom. So that's all there is to it, and it's natural to us to meditate. Everyone here was a born meditator. It took you many years to lose the ability to meditate. That's called education. (laughs) (laughs) But underneath that veneer of the educated ego that is uh, subject to ADD, which is the social conditioning for everyone nowadays. We're trained to multitask and to never concentrate on one thing because there's always too much to do. Once we get below that veneer of conditioning, the mind's silence and presence is our natural state. You don't have to do anything to create it. It is our uncreated being. So how many of you want to meditate now? Okay, that's a lot. Why don't we do it? Let's put on some very slow background music and we'll do a meditative exercise.